It is a stated dogma of the church that Our Lady was conceived without sin. Our Lady stands behind us and quite literally in our studio. She's behind me. And by the end of this show, you'll understand why this dogma is so important. Living the Faith Podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media, restoringthefaith.com. We're talking about original sin here on the Living the Faith Show. Joe and Mike in studio with another special edition for the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, which is December 8th. It's a holy day of obligation, and we're here with you, happy to be here with you. We normally come about once a week, but this is a special week, Joe. This is like special delivery week. I mean, this is like... Hardcore. Yeah. I'm tired. We've we've brought you a show about Advent. We've given you one about St. Nicholas, and now today we're here to talk about the Immaculate Conception. It is our honor and privilege to do that. Absolutely. It's totally worth it. I, we, we talked about it at the beginning of this week, and I was just like, wow, it's, it's going to be a long week yeah. to get all this stuff out here. But uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes in on the back end and whatnot. Um, but this is this is important, and, and these things need to be talked about. Um, make sure to subscribe and click the bell uh, so that you get the rest of these special deliveries that are coming out. Um, it's really important to us to that y'all do that. So please go ahead and subscribe to the channel. Yeah, you've definitely got to do that. So uh, what are we talking about when we, oh, I lost my bookmark in my book. But when we were talking about the uh, the immaculate conception of Our Lady, first of all, we're not talking about the conception of our Lord. When Correct. you hear the dogma of the Immaculate Conception, that applies to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. It means that she was spared from original sin. So first off, we have to understand what original sin actually is and how it's transmitted. So I'm going to read f- from a great source document of ours called The Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma by Ott. This is a great book. Get it. Um, it's dense. It's a good reference book for uh, topics like this if you want to dive into it. But everything that I'm about to say is called de fide. It's of the faith. In other words, if you don't believe it, you're not Catholic. And you must believe it to be Catholic. So a couple uh, de fide statements about original sin, just so we know what we're talking about. The first point, Adam's sin is transmitted to his posterity, not by imitation, but by descent. De fide. Okay, so any human being who is a son or daughter of Adam receives original sin. Second definitive point, original sin consists in the deprivation of grace caused by the free act of sin committed by the head of the race. Defide. So original sin deprives your soul of grace. And here's... Here's the punchline on that third point. Original sin is transmitted by natural generation. We know that. Mm -hmm. But the actual consequence, this is the actual punchline here. In the state of original sin, man is deprived of sanctifying grace and all that this implies, as well as the preternatural gifts of integrity. Souls who depart this life in the state of original sin are excluded from the beatific vision of God. Defide. If you die in a state of original sin, you will not see God. 
So you're telling me that if you're not baptized either by water or by blood or by desire, you're damned. You will not see God. Okay. So just to be clear, because there's a lot of people out there who are just like, oh, well, you know, um, I, uh, uh, you know, rest in peace, you know, God's mercy, you know, blah, blah, blah. And not with regards to God's mercy, blah, blah, blah. But to people who ascribe all these qualities to God's mercy, I don't think that people realize how much they're projecting on God when they think of what is good and what is nice. It's what their idea of what is good and what is nice that they are projecting on God. This is a this is an it, this is a perfect point in the show to do a little bit of shameless advertising, <laughs> because you and I did one of our best shows I think ever when we talked about baptism. Yes. The necessity of baptism. It's on our channel. You should check it out because essentially, as you said, if you are not baptized in any of the forms of which baptism is available to you and you die, it is not good news for you. Our Lord was very clear on it. Scripture is very clear on it. The church is clear on it. Tradition is clear. So, That's what we're dealing with, is original sin. That sin which is transmitted from Adam, the head of the human race, ancestrally, hereditarily to all of us. We inherit it when we are born. Now, Our Lady was conceived without original sin. She is the lone exception. That that is not also God. That she, right. she she would be she would be the only other one yes yep. but of course it's always interesting talking about these things right because you say our lady is the only of this and of course she shares this with Christ but Christ is also God so yeah, obviously right, there right. there are some things that come with that sure but um no like you say Mary Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin and there's a lot of debate about this uh, nowadays um, but she was subject to this contraction of original sin that you referred to in, in ought, uh, she was, she was uh, subject to that necessity. However, by ex- special exclusion and intervention by God, right. That uh, what she was made the, the exception. Like she, yeah, she, she, it was an unmerited gift of God, which was given to her. Um, it was not merited by her own um, dignity. It was accorded to her as a special gift of God mm. uh, that he chose to do this from all time. And um, what we're going to talk about in the show today are all of the reasons why that happened that we can see from Scripture, from tradition, and from reason. And then uh, a little bit of the history of this, the understanding of this dogma, which was only really formally proclaimed in the 19th century. Mm-hmm. So the church has existed for, you know, 1,854 years or thereabouts without formally proclaiming this as a dogma of the faith mm-hmm. that you must believe or you're not Catholic. Right. That there, there, there is a lot of debate about this and people bring in, you know, both sides of it when they're talking about this and I'll, Oftentimes, just to try to put St. Thomas Aquinas down because he speaks a bunch of other inconvenient, inconvenient truths, right, uh, right that right. they don't like. Uh, so, <laughs> well, well, I mean, he's just—he uh, could be wrong. I mean, he was wrong about the Immaculate Conception. I have not literally had anybody else approach me with, "Hey, 
yeah, here's something else that, that, that it's always this Thomas Aquinas thing, right? Yeah. But th- this debate all comes about there's there's a certain um, y- y- there was a certain confusion and uh, about when conception begins, you know, when the right. soul is in, right. or, or, is, is passive conception yeah. versus active conception. There are many different ways, and the, the one of the big difficulties, right, is is that. You, to, for something to be immaculately, uh, for someone to be immaculately conceived, can can you have an impure uh, womb, right? Uh, mm. That 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 is holding the pure, right? And we we say that Christ, it, it is was proper that he have a pure womb to reside in for the nine months as king of the universe. Um. But with regards to Our Lady, that special intervention took place at her conception um, to her. It did not transfer up the, 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 the ladder to St. Anne and whatnot. Mm-hmm. But there are many different senses in which you can speak about this conception. So there's a lot of oh, sure. uh, debate about it. And there's that. certainly a link between the Feast of the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady and the Feast of the Conception of St. Anne. Yes. And so there's a there's a very ancient uh from the 600s, the 7th century, there's a link between those two feasts which we'll get to in the history. So what we should start with I think is the man who ended the discussion. Well, well, <laughs> well, let's Okay, so you already said that Mary was conceived without the stain of original sin. That is a defide statement. That is of the faith. If you don't believe that you're not Catholic, mm, period. Right. If anybody says that Mary was not conceived free from the stain of original sin. He is not a Catholic, period. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter if it's a bishop or a pope or anyone. If you deny this dogma, you're out. You are out of the church, and as we already know, there is no salvation outside of the Catholic Church. So that's why this is such an important thing to understand and to be able to defend. So the meritorious cause for Our Lady being conceived without sin was clearly the redemption by Jesus Christ. That was the meritorious cause. The efficient cause, of course, is God, mm, God right, Almighty. Right, right, right. right. Um, so when you talk about the causes. But she, like all other children of Adam, quote, was subject to the necessity of contracting original sin, as you said, Joe, but by a special intervention of God, she was preserved from stain of original sin. That's what we're talking about. So first place to go is, I think, the, the bowl— uh, the papal bull that uh, 1854, Pius the right? Blessed Pius the Ninth, yes. Blessed Pius the yes. Ninth, yes. Sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to drop your title, Blessed <laughs> Pius the Ninth. Um, ineffabilius Deus, ineffabilis Deus, okay, which uh, just means ineffable gods. The first couple words of the bull, uh, but we're unpack that for us, Joe. Nineteenth century. It's a very beautiful document. It's very well set out. There, there are reasons. It's not just a. Uh, so she was immaculately conceived. I'm the Pope. Deal with it. And it wasn't two hundred pages either. Explaining. It, I was surprisingly short. Yeah. And well organized. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. It's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, very readable to the lay person. Very. Very. Carbon emissions re- requires a lot longer explanation. <laughs> Than the Immaculate Conception. Did you? You said carbon emissions. I did say carbon yeah, emissions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I, I would have thought that you would have said plastic straws. I don't yeah, know why. I don't know. I don't get it. I don't get it. Anyways, the the point. 
the point is is that the document is very well laid out very clearly mm. um the he he lists the reasons why he lists liturgical reasons, historical reasons. This has been something that has been of discussion in the Western Church for a very long time. Oh, now, yeah. they, now it, there was uh, a lot of writings about it in the Eastern Church, in the Byzantine churches, and whatnot. But um, the the Eastern Church, or and specifically with regards to the Orthodox, has been stagnated to a certain extent because they don't proclaim dogmas. They don't uh, right. bring it down right. to, hey, this is a statement. The Eastern mode of thinking is to let these things, that, that, that reason does not permeate uh, the, the faith as much for the Eastern Eastern mind. Everything is much more mystical. They're a little bit afraid of diving in and being so precise about things. The Western church is more about... Uh, it's black and white. Yeah, reason here it informed is. by faith, right? Yeah, here it or is. Or faith informed by reason. Sorry? Here, yeah, here it is. Here, here's the yeah. anathema statement. Right. If right. you say this, you're anathema. Right. <laughs> and sometimes that's as simple as it is. It's by yeah. via negativa, right? I mean, yeah. it's just... that. That's it. Yeah. But... Uh, the, the the specific document has many different reasons, but it's been a long time coming, a very, very long time coming, and probably one of the, if not the longest time coming. It perhaps is. Um, I mean, this is something that has been believed at least, uh, certainly within the first 500 years of the church. Yeah. Uh, by theologians and scholars and 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 scholastics, he he writes specifically in there. He says, accordingly, from ancient times, the bishops of the church, ecclesiastics, religious orders, even emperors and kings, have earnestly petitioned the apostolic see to define a dogma of the Catholic faith, uh, define a dogma of the Catholic faith, the immaculate conception of the most holy mother of God. I mean, we're talking about fathers of peoples, yeah, about why this is so important. We kind of take it for granted nowadays. We're like, oh, okay, she was immaculately conceived. Right. Well, I, I, maybe we don't even take it for granted. I suspect that today we 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 almost take it with, uh, not with a spirit of, of humble piety, but we almost kind of take it in spite of ourselves. I think that a lot of mm. Catholics today look at this particular dogma as a stumbling block to so-called ecumenical dialogue with other Christians. Um, they find scant evidence of this particular dogma explicitly in Holy Writ. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, my sense is, at least in the American church, very few of the bishops clearly, definitively teach and defend this dogma. Because mm. I think that this dogma really is viewed with skepticism by those who value and cherish ecumenical dialogue above truth. Mm. So um, taking it for granted would be an even better way <laughs> to view this, I think, mm. than that which it is viewed nowadays. So at this point, we should uh, look at the Holy Scriptures, and there are three examples. There are many more that we can draw from. Sure. Our Lady is prefigured by many women in the Old Testament, mm -hmm. um, but there are three in particular um, that are both explicitly referenced in the bowl um, as well as in, um, in Ot. So the first one is in Genesis. 
And I'll read it. I'll read this. I'll read the passage. So Genesis three fifteen. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. He, the seed of the woman, shall crush thy head and thou shall crush his heel. So all of the early fathers of the church, all of them, mm-hmm. understood this woman who is referenced in the third chapter of Genesis to be Our Lady. Right. She exi- As Fulton Sheen said, she existed in the mind of God as a dream mm-hmm. long before the creation of the world. Mm-hmm. And that's how you can see it in, in Genesis, in this, di- in this, in this sure. dialogue. Sure. And her seed, her sperma is the word used. And no other instance can you see the seed of a woman, because mm-hmm. a woman doesn't have seed, right? Right. Her sperma will will bring enmity, which implies it's a virgin birth. Mm-hmm. So that's how that that's how the the holy uh, fathers of the church linked this explicitly to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> no, I mean it's it's important, right? Our Lady is often referenced in the liturgy and by the fathers and the doctors of the church as the new Eve. This is very important that Our Lady is immaculately conceived because Eve, there, there, there are four beings that ever entered this world that were without sin. And that was Adam, Eve, Christ, and Our Lady. Not in that order, obviously, but, you know, Our Lady and then Our Lord. Yeah. But those are the only four people that were conceived or that, that were brought into this world without the stain of original sin. Eve, Saint Eve, as many even the medieval manuscripts will write about, she, she, this is how God designed humans to live on this earth. And for people to suggest that Our Lady was not immaculately conceived is outrageous for more than just the reason that that is the womb in which our Lord lived for nine months. But even more so because she is the rebirth of Eve. Christ said he came to fulfill the Old Testament. Boom, cut it off right there. It's done. The the conception of Christ in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary is the end. And now we begin with the birth of Christ in this world. And if, if we're talking about newness and renewal, we're starting from square one, in a sense, right? In another sense, no. But in, in one sense, we're starting from square one. And so we now have Adam, the new Adam, as in, in Christ, and a new Eve in Our Lady. This is why this is important. This is one of the reasons why this is important. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I suspect that a lot of our listeners are familiar with the exposition that is given by many theologians uh, referencing Our Lady's womb being the new tabernacle of the Lord, you know, um, and that there are all kinds of parallels uh, to from the Old Testament to the New Testament, uh, including the fact that, you know, she uh, she. She, she's the Ark of the Covenant. She spent, you know, three months in the hill country. Um, you know, David danced when he saw the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, the the Saint John the Baptist in the mm-hmm. womb of Saint Elizabeth danced uh, when he saw the Ark of the Covenant. Um, there were all there were all these 
parallels between the Ark of the so yeah. You know, I mean the our litany, of is, our, the litany of our Lady, the litany yeah, of the Loretto, litany of Loretto calls her out, calls Ark her as covenant. the Ark of the New Covenant, and it's because you know she contains within her immaculate womb she contains God who is the way, the truth, and the life. As he explicitly says, the old the old Ark of the Covenant contained the way, the truth, and the life because it contained the staff of Aaron, it contained the uh, tablets of uh, of Moses, and mm-hmm. it contained the life sustaining manna. Mm-hmm. So the way, the truth, and the life in the old Ark of the Covenant now contained in the new Ark of the Covenant. And then when you fast forward to the twelfth chapter of the Apocalypse, the writer of the Apocalypse, John, who's seeing heaven. Mm-hmm. He says, and behold, I saw the Ark of the Covenant. Now, any Jewish mm. reader at the time who would have been reading this, anyone formed in the Judeo um, uh, tradition would have said, okay, tell me about this Ark. It's been lost for like six centuries. Right. You know, it's been buried in the side of a mountain or wherever it was. Mm-hmm. It went away. And now you're telling me that you have the Ark of the Covenant, which actually is the real legitimate power of God. And the next verse it was a woman clothed with the sun, the moon at her feet, <laughs> yes. crowned with 12 stars. I mean, it's like, you can't be more explicit. She is the Ark of the Covenant, mm. okay? So, um, well, and, and, and that is so important to the Jews, right? This is the, that literal handshake between God and his people. Our Lady is that for us. She is that, uh, that new agreement. This is the new covenant in our mother. When he turns to John and says, behold, thy mother, this is who I'm leaving you. This yes. is my covenant with yes. you. Our lady is our link between God and ourselves. This, this, this is also prefigured. Like, this is the importance of an ark. You go to, back to the Noah's ark. Right, I mean, th- this this is also another prefigurement of l- the literal womb. Like Saint Alphonsus Liguori goes on at length, yeah, uh, about our uh, the Ark of the the Noah's Ark with regards to our Our Lady's womb, and that it was protected from destruction. All that was within. I mean, this this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the Immaculate Conception. That's beautiful, and of course, the Jews believed that the Ark of the Covenant contained the actual power of God. In fact, the the word of the overshadowing of the of of the cloud of God coming over the ark of the covenant mm. is exactly the same word that Luke chooses to use when he describes that the power of the all uh, of, of the Almighty mm-hmm. will overshadow our lady. Wow. So, wow. The Ark of the Covenant was so holy and so pure that only once a year could it be touched and mm-hmm. only by one person, the high priest. And if that high priest was in a state of sin, he would die. Well, he, he would die. Just a little short vignette on that. That's why they used to tie a rope around his ankle. They did, in case he went into the Holy of Holies mm-hmm. and he died. And they could just drag him out and say, well, I guess next year. Because yeah, try again next year. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work today to, out this year, man. Right. Well, try it again next year. So if the Holy of Holies is that holy, and if we are the fulfillment of the faith, mm-hmm. the one true faith mm-hmm. of all the ages, then the Ark of the New Covenant should be exactly as pure and holy as the Ark of the Old Covenant was. Absolutely. I have found no Protestant who can rebut 
this line of thinking. And, and it's even more so. You're talking about the body of Christ yeah, in, in, in a Catholic church. Right. I mean, people can think about this the next time that they want to, you know, take our Lord in their hands and uh, desecrate the host by touching. Right. Like, they have Ark of the Covenant, which has all these beautiful gifts from God, but it's not God yeah. in there. And only the priest can touch the Ark. Yeah, only the priest. And if anyone else touches the Ark, they die. Yeah, the, there was the the story. I for, is this. I think I his name's Uzzah or something. I forget the, his name. The, the, they, they, one of the guys was dropping yeah, the ark and yeah, sliding yeah, off. That's right. And he reached to like make sure that it didn't touch the ground and literally zap, just shot down. I mean, th- this is that you you could, you make this parallel, right? Our, God didn't become this nice guy after when we came to the new no the nature new, of god is unchanging actually right. the nature of god is very exactly. consistent constant but, but by the way that guy uh who did get struck down it's kind of funny we're recording the show on the feast of saint barbara she's the patron saint of not getting struck by lightning so wow uh, now he was alive a lot time a long time before saint sure. barbara but maybe they're maybe they're laughing about it right now maybe he's not i don't know Okay, so that's the first point. There are two more scriptural passages that we have to get through before we can cover the history of the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. The second point is from Luke chapter 1, verse 28, and this is the hail full of grace passage. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is the beginning—I mean, this is the Ave Maria. Right. I'll read it just so we can have it. It just says, it says, hail full of grace. The expression full of grace in the angel's salutation represents the proper name and must on this account express a characteristic quality of Mary. So we did an entire show, Joe, in, same, in, in the same manner of uh, shameless self-promotion mm. <laughs> yes. as, as we reference baptism. I, I think one of our best shows of all time was about the angels, mm-hmm. God's holy angels. We talked about all nine choirs of them, that they are objectively superior to human beings, mm-hmm. um, that they are, they are closer to God, they are in heaven, they are pure spirit, um, and, and some of the attributes of the angels. And there is even a hierarchy amongst the mm-hmm. angels. And in that show, we said every single time that an angel appears to a human being, the angel has to comfort the human being fear not <laughs> like whoa, 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 i'm whoa. not here to destroy you because a single angel could destroy the earth I and mean, that's how powerful these guys are i mean they are so objectively superior to us and so with that in mind you see an angel appearing to a lowly creature a human being our lady mm. 14 year old girl 12 mm. however mm. old she was a young girl mm-hmm and saying, hail, full of grace. She's not scared in the least. Got nothing to be afraid of. That's right. Nothing to be afraid of. Now, why? Why would she not have anything to be afraid of? Because she has, exactly, she's full of grace. She is literally has nothing to be afraid of from God. Full of grace. Full of grace. You cannot be full of grace if you have original sin. We just said that. Right. That was the beginning of the show. That was the definition of original sin. It deprives you of grace. Right. 
that th- this is what describes in Genesis when God's like, hey, Adam. And then all of a sudden they're like, woods, leaves. Yeah. Freaking out like, ah, th- yeah. this is what original sin does to you. <laughs> you don't have anything to be afraid of from God if you're without sin. That's right. And you're not blaming it on the woman or blaming yeah, it on yeah, the yeah. serpent. Oh, but I, I, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I am blameless. I am blameless. There's nothing to be afraid of. She hadn't been baptized. Right? She had not been baptized. That is a, yeah. I mean, right. it wasn't a custom of the Jewish tradition. So this 14-year-old girl, right. not baptized, right. is full of grace. Right. And it's not incumbent upon her to give that example as Christ does at the baptism Exactly of, of Christ in that in that way. There, he is bringing that. So that is not upon her uh, to actually bring forth that sacrament. Okay, so if that doesn't convince you, perhaps our third example will. And the third example is also from Luke, also from the first chapter, just a few verses later, verse 41. This is when Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Ghost, speaks to Mary. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. For those who are listening who might be um, finding their way in their faith, who are not yet Catholic, who are Protestants, the two verses that we've just read you constitute the Hail Mary prayer, the Ave Maria. So the first part is the angelic salutation, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. The second part of the prayer is from Elizabeth. Mm. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, which we clarify as being Jesus. Blessed mm-hmm. is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. That is, we get accused, Joe, constantly of worshiping Mary, particularly yeah. when we recite the Holy Rosary. But the Rosary consists of a prayer which is from Scripture, mm-hmm. verbatim. Mm hmm. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. It, it, it's so true. You meet you meet converts all the time, right? And I would say all the time, but there, we know we each know several converts. Yeah. Um, and it always revolves in some form or fashion with being Catholic around Our Lady. Mm-hmm. Always. That's the stumbling block. That's the stumbling block. It's like yeah. ah, I just got to get around this this rock that's between me and the true faith. And I I get most of what y'all are saying, but I just cannot get around this right. rock. And there's a reason for that, because she is literally in the way. <laughs> in, right. in a manner of speaking. That's a good point. In, yeah. the, in the way. She is that She's on the path. path. Yeah, she is the path. To our Lord. Yes, exactly. He Christ is the way, and she is going to take you there. Tenderly. Tenderly. Yeah, I, I, I have been hearing a lot of comments now about... Our, our lady not being, you know, she's just powerful. And there's nothing meek about her. She she, she is the, the the combination of all these virtues. Right. Anyways, that 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 is that's so true. That yeah. that is what our lady is, and that is her nature. Once people get our lady, the the great irony right here, right, is is that Martin Luther, and, and of course, just a completely wacko individual. I mean, his life is full of just these crazy things. But this guy had originally a de- tender devotion to Our Lady. Either There's a whole yeah. Lutheran Mariology that exists out there. Oh, yeah. He Martin to, Luther can't. He didn't just stop at praying the rosary. Yeah. I mean, he was like a defender of this dogma. 
Yeah. He was a defender Originally. of the Immaculate Conception. Yeah. And he just can't stop vacillating, right? This is the yeah. this is the part of when you are a heretic yeah. and you leave the truth and then, you're trying to find ways around to re-explain right. or change. Right. You vacillate because you're just focused on protesting what is the truth, yeah. but the truth is impenetrable. And he's and he and and he Martin Luther and John Calvin especially, but those two figures more so than almost anyone in the history of the Protestant Revolution were governed exclusively by their lower passions. Yes. They were perverts. Yeah. Martin Luther ran off with a nun who uh, ran away from the convent. I mean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that that's what governed his life, and he tried to uh, form his theology around his passions. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why he vacillated so much. Yeah. But he did. He did start in the right place. Okay, so we've talked about uh, holy scripture. Now we can talk a little bit about holy tradition, which is the source, uh, the, another source of this beautiful dogma of the faith, the Immaculate Conception. The first is Mary's most perfect purity and holiness, as elucidated by Saint uh, Saint Ephraim, who says, "Thou and thy mother are the only ones." who are totally beautiful in every respect. For in thee, O Lord, there is no spot, and in thy mother, no stain. Okay, this is an ancient, ancient quote, okay? This is, this this alone, am I saying his name right? St. Ephraim? Ephraim. Ephraim. Yep. St. Ephraim is, is so early and so connected to the fathers of the faith yes. that he, his, his writings alone prove that Many of the fathers understood this dogma yes. from the beginning. Yes. From the beginning. The other uh, aspect from tradition is uh, St. Augustine. He's also wrong like St. Thomas Aquinas, but go ahead. St. <laughs> Augustine. He said, uh, well, where is the St. Augustine quote? I don't have that here, but I do have another St. Ephraim quote. Mary and Eve, two people without guilt... Two simple people were identical. Later, however, one became the cause of our death and the other the cause of our life. This is how our Lord operates. The, this is how God yeah. operates. So for, Mary is the new Eve. For, for all the people who think that Catholics, or even Catholics that think that you and I are, yeah. chauvinistic pigs, uh, the honor and respect that we give to women in the Catholic faith is superior, is superior uh, to all other cultures, religions, oh, yeah. or whatnot. Nobody respects women like the Catholic Church does. No, I mean, God's, high, God's highest and most perfect creature is yeah. his mother. Yeah. It's a woman. Absolutely. So when you're talking about Eve, Eve was literally the first woman taken from the ribs of Adam. She was the most beautiful until Our Lady. Yeah. The the again the, the 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 back and forth the parallels between these two is we're starting over again with Our Lady. Sa Satan came down to Earth after he revolted against God to mm. try to twist God's creation that he created to replace the empty seats left by all the rebellious angels 
God is restocking heaven. Mm. He 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 says there are all these seats. Two, you know, however many of my angels left me, and I'm going to fill these spots with my own image and likeness that he did not even create the angels with as powerful as they are. It's, it's incredible. And our lady, this is the significance. Our lady is turning the tide. She is crushing his head and she is going to fill those seats. Exactly as we're told in Genesis. Okay. What we've heard so far, we have now defined the dogma of the immaculate conception of our lady and we have given both scriptural and traditional uh, justifications for that dogma. What you'll hear in the second half of the show is a history of this dogma, uh, appar- some, some famous apparitions which validate the dogma, some of the greatest champions, including, I'll give a hint, the Spaniards, Um, And finally, some devotions in this dogma. So stick with us as in this show. And if you are enjoying this content, we really do enjoy bringing it to you. And it will make it very easy for us to continue to do so if you would subscribe to the channel. Subscribe to the channel. Share the channel with your friends. Like us on Facebook uh, and on Instagram. And at least leave comments. Ask some questions. We do need comments. We do need comments. We're very active in answering comments, and we are very discerning in how we answer them. If we don't know an answer, we will refer you to someone who does. But for the most part, we are very responsive. So we invite your comments. And at the end of the show, I will actually ask you to tell us a little bit about how you celebrate the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Okay, so jumping into history, Joe. um, I think as we alluded to earlier in the show... This particular feast is of ancient origin, and it started with a devotion to St. Anne uh, in the 7th century. Mm. So it was a, it was a feast that, that grew out of this devotion to St. Anne, and, said, and it was actually the conception of St. Anne. It was not mm. the immaculate conception of St. Anne, but it celebrated the conception of St. Anne and thereby the conception of Our Lady. Mm. And then it was later, it was scholars who started, and, and theologians who started to add the tagline, Immaculate. Mm-hmm. They started to, to read between the lines. Yes. That they started to infer from Scripture, not that, not that which is explicitly stated, but that which is directly implied. Right. Oh, you, you mean that if it's not explicitly stated in Scripture that it didn't happen? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's kind of like that scene in um, that scene in A Few Good Men in the courtroom mm. um, where, uh, <laughs> where where Tom Cruise. Okay, <laughs> oh, God. he bring so so he brings up the rule book and he slaps the rule book on the table and he says, "All right, Marine, you tell me where in the rule book it says that you will eat three times a day." And the Marine says, "Well." It's it's not in the rule book, sir. Is it, what, wait, wait, wait. You're telling me that you didn't eat in Guantanamo? <laughs> you were stationed in Guantanamo and right. you never ate? Right. Where's the chow hall? Well, uh, yeah, yeah, the chow hall, you know, we hoofed it and, you know, we could make it in this amount of time and all this stuff. But the chow hall is not explicitly stated in this book right here. So how can it be that you ate, that the chow hall existed, if it's yeah. not explicitly stated here? Yeah. Uh, Our, well, sir, yeah. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. Ate seven times in his life, twice in the desert, (laughs) and then like five other times. I'm not even sure. Did he did like did he eat? 
the multiplied loaves and fishes. No, he did not eat those. I don't know if, if he ate those. Sta- stated it doesn't there, state so that he ate them, so we're he not sure. He probably didn't eat else. Yeah, he I mean, was, he didn't need food. He was God, right? It was just kind of like it was just kind of, uh, yeah. Yeah, so, okay. Anyways. Good point. The, the, that, so, so that needs this, to be stated. Uh, so it was stated ec- implicitly in Scripture, um, if not explicitly. So it began in the 7th century. Now, we have to fast forward a little bit, and we have to go to England, there's a mm. British monk, Admer, Admer, and he was a pupil of Saint Anselm, mm. and he was the he was one of the first and most um, prolific advocates of the Immaculate Conception as a dogma. Mm-hmm. So this was in the 12th century. So in the 1100s, even you are not finding prominent saints and theologians who are elucidating this dogma, right? I mean, remember, too, we're going through a lot of different heresies right now. We have got Elbage. I mean, we're fighting oh, yeah. some major oh, yeah. battles right now. We had dealt with the Arians we for however the, long. Uh, yeah, right. We had the, the Albigensians. I P- mean, Pelagians. Pelag- I mean, Nestor. I mean, you got it all. Go- like, we, we're, not, we're not even quite, like, on track with who God is, yeah. who Christ is. Like, the finer details, which are significant and important in many different ways— we're we're still like down the line, so so about a hundred and fifty years after this British monk elucidates this dogma, it takes a hundred and fifty to two hundred years even for it to get picked up again. Mm-hmm. This time by a Franciscan theologian, William of Ware, and he perfected this great uh, this this great dogma actually in his pupil. Mm. So William of Ware started started this work. Imagine spending your whole life thinking about these things mm-hmm. and starting this work on how do you how do you conceptualize the Immaculate Conception, and then his great pupil, John Duns Scotus, thirteen oh eight, the man died in thirteen oh eight. So here we are. We're in the fourteenth century now. We just said it was in the twelfth century that this thing kind mm-hmm. of took hold. Right. Now in the 14th century, this formulation happens with SCOTUS, and this re- basically removed all of the obstacles to the dogma, which had, up to that point, these these obstacles, right. they had been perceived by great Catholic saints. Right. You've got St. Alexander of Hales, St. Bonaventure, St. Albert the Great, St. Thomas Aquinas, mm-hmm. St. Bernard of Clairvaux, all these people are sort of skeptical of this dogma because of the almost as it as it tends to be because of the definition of the terms. Right. Well, and it wasn't dogma yeah, at right. the time, right? right. I mean, th- th- this was an investigation that was specifically in the even in the case of Saint Thomas Aquinas was specifically asked to investigate this. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Besides, you know, obviously the, the 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 great study that he had, the libraries that he had access to. I mean, we're not Google searches away. Hindsight's twenty twenty in this case. And there's an interesting point, just even on Saint Thomas Aquinas, right? Saint Thomas Aquinas, there are there are nine ways in which you nine senses in which you can discuss the conception the, the, of Our Lady, and. He just, like, doesn't even talk about the ninth one, which is the springboard from which Pius IX in Ineffabilis, Ineffabilis uh, Deus, Pius IX, springs from to make this dogma, right? right. So St. Thomas Aquinas is 
you know, getting into this and understanding there are many different ways in which to understand what the conception of Our Lady is. And this is where this is the uh, the, the age old, uh, well, not age old, but th- this is what moderns talk about when they want to prove that St. Thomas Aquinas is wrong. And, um, you know, this is this is the example. They don't even know what it says. No, just, they, no, no. They're not going to dive into that. They just right. want to. They just want to torpedo Aquinas. Right. Okay. So for those who just want a flavor of the theology that we're talking about here, and that, not not that we're going to get mired down, but we're going to give a quick reading of the flavor of this. You can read more about this yourself. But just to uh, give you a quick taste of it, uh, the the latter, who's Scotus, mm. taught that the animation animatio need not precede the sanctification in order of time, ordo temporis, but only in order of concept, ordo naturi, through the introduction of the concept of preredemptio, pre-redemption. He succeeded in reconciling Mary's freedom from original sin with her necessity for redemption. The preservation from original sin is, according to Scotus, the most perfect kind of redemption. Thus, it is fitting that Christ should redeem his mother in this manner. The Franciscan order allied itself with Scotus, and in contrast to the Dominican order, decisively advocated the doctrine and the feast of the Immaculate Conception of Mary. This is where we get the... This is... Dun Scotus, he's talking about and, and, and referencing in a very roundabout way the Felix Culpa. Right. Yeah. When Christ dies on the cross, this is this is one of the things that's in the liturgy. It talks about O Felix Culpa, the 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 happy fault Mm. of Adam and Eve Mm -hmm. that they should make this fault, which is horrible, but yet at the same time gives greater honor and glory to God, and gives us the gift of our lady of Christ and Our Lady, because had Adam and Eve not done that done done that then we this is the direct result of of that action right that's right we can't say what wouldn't have happened but dun scotus is referring to this in an interesting way because when you're looking at adam and eve talking uh and how christ is redeeming our lady in this case christ needed to redeem us Christ, Christ needed to do that. So a, a lot of uh, of the other authors are saying that this 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 is a hard uh, concept for them to deal with because the Immaculate Conception. Are we saying that Our Lady did not need to be redeemed? Yeah, but right. Our Lady, as part of the human race, right, did need to be redeemed. That Christ came to redeem us for our sins. Our Lady is a human. He himself is a human, and he offered himself up. So this is uh, th- th- this 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 is the the yeah. difficulty that we're dealing with that Scotus yeah. is having to refer oh, happy to. Fault. And this is why Scripture says all things work towards the good. Yes, and this is how th- that can be that can be true. Okay, before we get into the apparitions, there's one other argument from reason, and this is elucidated by Edmir. And again, Edmir was the British monk who started this this movement. And it basically goes like this. God could do it and he should do it. So he did do it. 
I mean, it sounds really simple. It sounds almost silly. It almost sounds flippant, right? <laughs> you you can definitely tell that he is a disciple of Saint Anselm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah but, okay. right. But 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 yeah. but if you understand the nature of God, mm-hmm. you know, and 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 if he could and he should do something, then of course he will do something mm-hmm. because God is all good, all powerful, all merciful, right. all of these things. Mm-hmm. He's he's omnipotent, and so w- when you say that he could do it, and this and this is the actually the best way that he could do it of course that's the way that he would do it of course mm. if starting from the nature of god that is the conclusion so again it sounds almost childish and it sounds almost flippant but uh there's a lot more going on here when you start from the premise that god god's nature yeah is is the premise there's there's a very specific philosophical and theological yeah um arguments that lie underneath that simplistic statement. So this is the argument from reason. Okay, so we have given you arguments from Scripture. We've given you arguments from tradition and even an argument from reason. Now, Joe, it's time to get into arguments from Our Lady herself. Yeah. Our Lady herself. So I don't look at them as arguments. She's just stating it. Yeah, there's really no arguing with her. Yeah. I mean... I mean, there's... It's like kind of (laughs) like... It, it's you, like you, you, it's like when you when you when, it, it when your have, mother says go take a nap. It, yeah, it, I mean you could debate it. You but, could protest but you're, it. You're going. Yeah, you could protest <laughs> it, but that's not in your best right. interest. So it doesn't matter who you were. What philosophical? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, again, you talk about Our Lady is completely removed from original sin. There's no original sin in her. So her faculties are yeah. Well, she yeah, has she has all the preternatural gifts, right, exactly. which none of us have, right? And of course, she has a beatific bit. All that starts, yeah, stuff. yeah, yeah. But anyways, so, so. she knows the truth. She's going to come down and she's going to tell us how it is. Um, there is an int- just as a uh, a slight vignette uh, because it's not something that she directly stated, but there was just some interesting significance and in a connection to Our Lady of Guadalupe back in fifteen thirty one that the Spaniards. The Spaniards, I, they love Our Lady. This is they do, they the, do. Our Lady has 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 a very special place in her heart for the Spanish. Yeah, they they have sought to honor her, and Our Lady will take care of them. She took care of them at the Battle of Lepanto. She took care of them, you know, in in all their conquests of the New World. She took care of them through the 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 Spanish Empire. I mean. She she's taking care of the Spanish Spanish, and they in turn truly truly love her as a mother, I, I, in some ways more than anybody else, in some ways. Um, but Juan Diego in Guadalupe, he uh, was actually when he came upon Our Lady, or Our Lady showed up on his way. He was literally on his way to a celebration of the conception. Of Our Lady. Oh, come on. Okay, so this was a feast day. This was like in, what, 1531? 1531. Okay. okay, right. So the, the main distinction here is Saint, our, our Blessed Pius IX, he added immaculate to cons- feast of the conception of Our Lady. Mm. Because this has been being celebrated for hundreds of years already. Even in the New World, Even Joe. in the New World. I mean, that's incredible. A convert the, Indian. A convert, yeah, yeah, right. An Aztec. Aztec. I mean, yeah. an, an, an Aztec is celebrating the conception of Our Lady mm-hmm. in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. 
200 plus years before this dogma was elucidated by blessed Pope Pius the ninth. And you're telling me, you're telling me that this Aztec who didn't even speak Spanish mm. understood the dogma of the immaculate conception. And he was on his way walking 10 miles on foot mm-hmm. to get to mass so that he could reverence his mother, Our Lady, who then appeared to him. And remember her conception. Yeah, and then he could appear to him. That's incredible. Yeah. I had planned to do this later in the show, but we're going to do it now. Okay. We're going to do it now. We're going to talk about the Spanish and their, as you said, their faithfulness to Our Lady. They were some of the early proponents of this feast. Mm -hmm. And in fact... They had developed an entire liturgical color around Our Lady. We, When you and I, Joe, if you just search Google for images of Our Lady, she is most often wearing blue. Mm-hmm. Our Lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray, that famous poem that uh, Fulton Sheen made famous. She's wearing blue, but she's wearing a particular color of blue. Yes. And we're talking about Juan Diego, and I want to tie all this in. So she's wearing a cerulean blue, cerulean, and I'm bringing it up on the screen here. And as you can see, this is a liturgical color that you don't often see. This is from Spain. This This was originated there. It started there. It is based off of the color of Spanish roses. I'm going to play it again so people can see it. So this cerulean blue... And it's on like an eight-second loop, so you get to see it twice. <laughs> you're welcome. By the way, if you're listening in Podcastville and you haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel, you are now missing out on the visual effects of Cerulean Blue. You're not going to see the blue. You got If you want to see the blue, subscribe to the channel. So this blue, Joe, we said this in our show about Guadalupe. It was yes. our very first podcast that we ever released, Our Lady of Guadalupe. This is when we Patroness really of the knew Americas. that we had to do this because... We had three guys sitting down talking about these various apparitions of Our Lady and this blue that keeps showing up. Yeah. And it seems so insignificant, but when we actually started comparing the blue from the Tilma to these the, the blue of the Spanish, and then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, whoa, wow, it's all coming together, and we're like, okay. Yeah. So it's the color of the yeah. of the, these Castilian roses. Castile, Castile was really the seat, the heart of of, mm-hmm. of the of the Spanish Empire, and um, and it was it was uh, Emperor uh, uh, Carlos V who unified all of Spain, um, and he was he was king of of Castile first, and then later king of all of Spain. Mm. Um, so these Castilian roses, I don't know, or flowers, yep, show up on the tilma. They show up right. on the tilma, mm-hmm. and that cerulean blue that you see Our Lady of Guadalupe bedecked in, this is the same blue. I'm, I'm playing it again, <laughs> so you can see the blue. I asked you if eight seconds because it was long enough. I know. I said, I said, I said. <laughs> that's, like, that's like so long. I said eight, eight seconds, seconds is a long time, Joe. I, I mean, yeah, eight is plenty. We're playing it again. This is the blue that you see on the Feast of Our Lady in, 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 in her Immaculate Conception, and this is a particular privilege that was given to the Spanish and the Spanish alone. Mm-hmm. And it was particularly given to the Diocese of Toledo mm-hmm. and Seville. And then it was ultimately extended to all of Hispania and all of her former empire. We like to say that the sun never sets on restoring the faith. 
The sun never sets on restoring the faith. Why? Because of all of the Filipino fans that follow the page, like the like the memes, they like the Facebook page, they subscribe to the channel, they're watching this thing. While you whilst you and I sleep, Joe. They keep the lights on at night. They keep the lights on. So this is a shout out, even in the Philippines, a former part of the former Spanish realm. You in the Philippines, and I am jealous of you. I am jealous of you. You have this particular privilege of having this beautiful cerulean blue that you can bring out for Our Lady's Feast, and in particular because of the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. One other thing about the people of Toledo, Toledo, Spain, because I, you know I like a good party, Joe. <laughs> so, uh, 1854. Okay. Uh, this papal bull comes out. Yes. It definitively defines the dogma of the Immaculate Conception. It fixes it affixes the feast day to December 8th. The people of Toledo, who had such a pious devotion to Our Lady, and who had been the, the campions, mm. the champions yes. of this Campeoros. idea for centuries, mm. they were so happy, they were so joyful, they were overwhelmed by their victory. That mm. they had an epic party. <laughs> they were celebrating the Feast of the Immaculate Conception basically for the entire month of December. Yep. They almost forgot Christmas. The Feast of the Immaculate Conception for them was so significant and it was such a huge longing that They're they had. They're the bells, like fiesta. Oh, yeah. Uh, just All of that. And then they, And then they realized... Oh my gosh, it's Christmas. They like woke up one day and they're like, um, We should probably celebrate that. <laughs> this has been like a three week bender. Yeah. And we should celebrate Christmas. Yeah. I mean, that is how piously these people, the Spaniards, the Spanish, of mm-hmm. which you and I are descendants, mm-hmm. happily, um, took Our Lady. Okay, so that was the all right, so that was Our Lady of Guadalupe. Get that that was that way. was Juan that was Juan Diego. <laughs> we have a couple more apparitions to talk about. So our our lady gets more explicit as time goes on, um, and then she even moves on <laughs> from that. <laughs> um, so our lady appeared to Saint Catherine of Labre, incidentally, whose feast day it was on Thanksgiving Day uh, this year. Wow, the feast of Saint Catherine of Labre, according to Butler's Lives of the Saints, um, she appeared to. Uh, St. Catherine Labre on the Rue de Bac. Uh, it is a street that crosses the Seine River in France. I've had the privilege of walking down it. Uh, the she she appeared to St. Catherine Labre. This is where we get the miraculous medal. This is eighteen thirty. This is bef- this is twenty four years before the dogma is proclaimed. Yeah, and the miraculous medal, Our Lady. Finishes the apparition to St. Catherine of Labre, or one of them, uh, with the design for the miraculous medal. Mm-hmm. And Our Lady is put in this, in, in, in this very glorified state with the words, O Mary conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. Conceived without sin. It's pretty explicit, right? Yeah. I mean, that, I mean that, that, that carries some more weight than a, than a papal bull, I would say. In, in in a manner of speaking, right? Yeah, uh, <laughs> I would I would say so. I, 
I am the Immaculate Conception. But she saw, I mean, she saw where things were going. She saw that this movement of the Immaculate Conception within the church was taking root. Right. And, of course, she being outside of time and viewing us worldlings, us earthlings, mm-hmm. <laughs> as right. being in time, she knew that uh, 24 years before this actually is a thing, I'm going to give you the medal, the Miraculous Medal, which by which so many souls have been converted. Mm-hmm. O Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee. If you're a Protestant and you're still listening to the show, that in itself is miraculous. But yes. if you're still listening, <laughs> Our Lady appeared and dictated that a medal should be worn by everyone. You and I both wear this medal. Yes. Most Catholics wear this medal. It may be one of the most distinguishing characteristics of any uh of uh, that Catholics wear it may I mean, I mean that and the scapular are the two measures by which you can judge that somebody is a Catholic, and if you happen to find a rosary in their pocket. Yeah. But the miraculous right, medal. medal, it is an image of Our Lady, and around Our Lady it says these words: "Oh, oh Mary, conceived without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee." Conceived without sin. That's it. But that's not even that's not even the most explicit that she was right. been right. Right. Exactly. No, that she she again then. Four years after the pronounce, pronounce, pronouncement yeah. of the dogma yeah. by Blessed Pius IX, Our Lady sets it in stone. And she couldn't say any more explicitly. She appeared to a uneducated uh, uh, girl, uh, Bernadette of Subaru, mm-hmm. uh, at the Grotto of Massabielle in southwestern France uh, for all you who are not familiar with the geography, it's a very confusing. Gascony is in this southwestern region, touching Spain, right? And so they're kind of they're they're like the French Basques. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they have their own dialect, and so it's kind of like a Frenchy, Spanishy kind of wordy language. So Our Lady, at least how she, how Bernadette of Subaru hears it, she says. Uh, she hears it is que soy era Immaculada Concepción. I am the Immaculate Conception. I am. I am the Immaculate yeah. Conception. Even the, the phraseology is very biblical about yeah. how she's saying that. Yeah. She's not saying that she's God. No. But she's very clearly stating that this is the Immaculate Conception. I am. I am. I am the Ark of the Covenant in this case. Yeah. The Ark that carried Christ. This is her relationship. This is this tight unification of her with our Lord. And then, again, Our Lady appears in Portugal in 1917. Uh, 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 Fatima is literally Central Western, so literally halfway mm-hmm. between north and south on the west coast of Portugal. And she says that in the end, her immaculate heart will triumph. Can't have an immaculate heart without being immaculately conceived. That's it. My immaculate heart will triumph. That's I mean, it. okay. So, again, you, you start, Our Lady is so tender with us. She starts with... Dignifying Juan Diego, who's there to celebrate her immaculate conception. Mm -hmm. She then says, I am conceived without sin. 
She then basically says, okay, you, you, you finally have arrived at the right answer. Congratulations. Um, I'm going to buttress that right answer and say, I am the Immaculate Conception. And then later on, she, she, uh, she prophesies that my Immaculate Heart will prevail. Yes. So, so she's, she, guides, she teaches like a mother. Mm-hmm. She leads us into this idea. When we get there, she affirms it. Mm-hmm. And then she takes it even further. Mm-hmm. And that's what all good mothers do. So all good mothers do. That is there, what they there, do. There's, there's a certain element that you have to let children try to you, you, you teach them, but then they have to learn some things. They have to bonk their head against the wall several times, you know, bust a lip, that sort of thing. But when they finally, oh, that's what, uh, yes, I'm affirming it and I'm taking it to the next step. Right. Okay, so the Feast of the Immaculate Conception is this week. It's this Sunday. It's on the 8th. Yeah. It's on the 8th of December. It's a fixed date. This year it happens to fall on a Sunday, but it is a day of holy obligation. So if it I'm I'm just glad that it happens on the one day every 7 years that we don't have to listen to all the feast is transferred to the Sunday. Yeah. Like, no no I, knowing just, all of this. Yeah. If you are one of the five uh, statistical viewers of of our YouTube channel who have persevered to this point in the show, <laughs> right, 20% yes. of you hang on till the end, yeah. and we appreciate that, you are now thinking to yourself, how can you possibly transfer this feast to a Sunday? This feast stands alone. Yep. This feast has its own merit, and it should be celebrated as a separate standing holy day of obligation. And if your bishop is one of those bishops who says, I'm transferring it to the the nearest Sunday, then I'm sorry. I am very sorry. You should you should still go to Mass on the eighth and obligate you should yourself. Still, you should obligate yourself exactly. Now the Feast of the Immaculate Conception, Joe. It falls during Advent. Yes. And this is like a, in my mind, it's so appropriate. Very much. It is a gift mm-hmm. to Advent that we can think about the holy womb of Our Lady in which our Lord resided, especially during Advent. And as we are waiting in expectation for his arrival, we know that he is going to be transferred from the immaculate crib, if you will, of Our Lady's mm. womb to the manger crib mm-hmm. and he will be born. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it is a coincidence that our Holy church has placed this feast in squarely. It's a, yeah. It's a great consolation. I mean, we've, we're given a lot of consolations in Advent. That's like, Hey, don't yeah. worry. We're almost yeah. there. Right. Right. You're going right. to get there. It's but not like that. Right. This is, this is a, in a, in a very, in a, in a very true sense, it's a very maternal period of time. Right. This is this is a woman who is in expectation of our Lord, um, and she is traveling to Bethlehem, and we're on this journey with her. But even even they 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 talk about even the the way in which the train of angels, if the human eye could see. The train of angels mm. that were following Our Lady mm. on their journey to Bethlehem, tending to her, singing to her, take just the, everything is going to come soon. It would and be awe-inspiring. Amazing. If, if if the human mind could yeah. see it, it would be awe. 
inspiring. And this is this is what Advent is. And this these are these are just tremendous consolations that we can take comfort in that our Savior is almost here. He's almost here. Now, one of the pious devotions uh, relative to this great feast is the Novena, the Novena to the Immaculate Conception. Yes. Now, unfortunately, this show will come out before the beginning of that Novena, so if you haven't started the Novena, maybe it's time to catch up. But the Novena consists of the Prayer of Loretto, which is also a litany of the Blessed Virgin Mary and some additional prayers. It can be found online, and we'll probably link to it in the show Mm -hmm. notes. Um, But that is one of the pious traditions that has sprung up around the Immaculate Conception, and it is a very beautiful thing. And it again, a novena is nine days, so it starts nine days before the eighth. And so every year, as you are um, as you're preparing your Thanksgiving meal, you should be thinking in the back of your mind, I need to get ready for the novena to the Immaculate Virgin Mary. This is the appropriate thing to do at the end of de- at the end of November, and you know that it's coming. Mm-hmm. So on the on November thirtieth it starts nine days again before the eighth of December um, and its termination. So um, this is the point of the show, Joe, where we would like to ask our viewers, our listeners, our fans, our supporters, tell us about your traditions around the Immaculate Conception. Tell us about your struggles with this dogma. Tell us about how. Our Lady has worked miracles in your life. Comment on our show on YouTube, comment on Facebook, and give us some insight into how Our Lady's Immaculate Conception has transformed your life and has been a gift to your Advent. Ask that question in RCIA. Living the Faith Podcast, brought to you by Restoring the Faith Media. RestoringTheFaith.com